Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus gave several warning signs, and one of them is about how there is one way to move forward. Actually, he kind of uses the terms that you would be probably pretty familiar with about the narrow way. Let's take a look at it together. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said in verses 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is one of those warnings that he gives. And one thing that I love to point out to people to, so that they realize just kind of the seriousness of this is in verse 13, we oftentimes talk about the narrow gate. But, you know, do you realize that it's um, a narrow gate and it's a narrow road? You know, the pathway itself is also a narrow road. It's not just about the entrance into it is narrow, but it's also kind of a small road because only a few people are going to choose that path. Uh, let me give you a visual uh, illustration. Now, here on the screen before you, you probably can't really see this, and what I would recommend to you is to take a look at this um, you know, on your own because this is called the broad and narrow way. And like I've got a picture right here even uh, of the same thing that you have. Now you probably can't necessarily see it, but if you kind of zoom in on some of it, it's got scripture text w throughout it that tells you different um, things, different passages, different lessons. And this, uh, this has actually come around for a long time. You know, one of the ways that you can get kind of a picture of that and to be able to even kind of zoom in on your own computer is to go to the British Museum website and take a look about this broad, this narrow way. It's a, it's called a, a painting right here. There's some of the information on the screen if you want to kind of look at it. Um, it didn't start off in English, but you know somebody did put it in English, and it's, it's kind of an amazing illustration. If you look on the screen, you know you'll see that there's this one way that is uh, very 
Well, it's the one that you notice the most. You know, if you're just kind of looking at it, in fact, it might be the first way that you notice. It's really big. It's got these different buildings and all on it. But then if you see the pathway where it leads, it's got these images of, of fire because it's this destruction. It's that road that leads to destruction that Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 is about. But this other pathway, it's a smaller one. In fact, you actually kind of have to hunt on here to see the gate because it's a narrow gate for which we enter. And the pathway, it's just kind of a smaller pathway. And you'll notice a few lessons that are given to us in a visual illustration on this. Now, this poster right here, it has been a visual aid to many, many different sermons throughout uh, the, the different uh, decades that it's been used, or even, I guess, centuries that it's been used. And I first saw this whenever, I think I was in high school probably, and it was in a big poster and all. Uh, my friend was actually the one that, that bought it. I have no clue if he still has it or not, but you know, both of us, uh, after he bought it, we, we were uh, looking up these different passages. I don't know, we might have even looked up every single one of the passages that's on here to kind of learn, and there definitely is a visual to this, you know, kind of a sermon in picture format uh, that you can follow along and you can learn so much uh, about it. And uh, I did look up those passages. And if you want to uh, have a, a good time looking up different passages, uh, take a look at this from the British Museum and you'll be able to kind of look at those passages and see more. And I don't know, maybe at another time we might even kind of dive into some of those things uh, together at a time. But it's this visual aid about our need to enter through this narrow gate and this road that leads to life. It is a narrow road that leads to life. There's only going to be a few that find it. So you might ask this question, what does that narrow way or this narrow road look like? Well, Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, he's already talked about it within this very sermon. Let's take a look at a few of the things that he has said, just kind of a reminder of the things that we've already covered. In Matthew chapter 5, and I'm just going to kind of take each one of them, just give you a few verses for each one of the chapters. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, one of the things that Jesus taught us was, he said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He explains that our faith is supposed to be an active faith. And if you want an example of this, you know, one of the things that he says is he speaks about if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And, you know, many times we might look at that and think, oh, okay, so we as Christians, uh, you know, are just supposed to let people just walk all over. No, no, no. You're missing the point if that's what you take from him saying, if somebody slaps you on your right, turn to him the other. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, be the type of people that if somebody is, is you know, going to choose to mistreat you, you are not called to really, you know, fight back. This slapping on the right cheek, that's not a thing that's like somebody's hurting you. This is not talking about self-defense. This is talking about more of an insult than anything else. And what Jesus is telling us is, if somebody chooses to insult you, you know, allow them to. He's saying that it's, it's not a big deal in order to do that. It takes great effort on your part to offer up the other and be like, um, you know, the way that I've heard it from a, another preacher he said, you know, offer up your other cheek and just be like, you know, I can see that you're having a, a bad day. Here, here's the other one as well, if it just really will make you feel better. When you think about Jesus' words in that context, it takes a little different meaning. Also, he says, if somebody forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So, you know, this this idea was if a Roman soldier would force you to take uh, carry their, their, um, uh, their gear for one mile, which they could do legally during that time, but they were within their legal right to do that. But if somebody is doing that, what Jesus says is, go above and beyond what's expected. 
go ahead and just just carry it. This type of faith, this is the way that Christ has been teaching. And he doesn't do it just by words, but he does it by deeds as well. Then after he lists several of the different ways that we are called to put forth an effort, you know, this type of faith that he is, is describing, it takes effort. If you take the easy route out, it doesn't lead to the right place. It doesn't lead um, to, uh, to the way of, of life that we see. So after Jesus gives several examples of those things, he ends chapter 5 with verse 48. He says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I love that just kind of a catchphrase that will catch everything else that maybe Jesus didn't specifically cover, but you might have questions about it. He says, Be perfect, just like your heavenly Father. If your heavenly Father is the one that's teaching you things, what type of, of person are you going to be in your life? But this is not all Jesus says. That He says those things in chapter 5. Let's look at chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, the very first thing he says in verse 1 is he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Our purpose is not to be seen by other people. It's not to get the glory for ourselves. It's to give glory to God. And also in this chapter, he teaches us in verse 9, he says, This then is how you should pray. He teaches us to pray. We are called to be people who rely upon God, who ask our Heavenly Father for the things that we need. That's why in verse 34, Jesus reminds us by saying, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can we be people who live this out, who truly don't worry about tomorrow, but allow God to take up our burdens and to carry the things that we are incapable of doing. This is what it means to follow the way of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 7, we see in verse 12, So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It's rightfully been called the golden rule. And it's this lesson about how we are supposed to treat other people. Do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. And in verse 24, we are reminded again that we've got to do something about this message that Jesus is giving us. Kind of the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This is what it means to follow the way. By the way, that was verses 24 and 25. I don't know if I, if I said that. But uh, for those of you who might be listening to only the audio of it, you might need to know that bit. But that's how Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount. This is the way of Christ that we follow. In fact, that term about calling it the way, it was picked up and it was used by the early church. I want you to see that this was actually an early name for the church, was calling it the way. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 2, we see that the way is being described there. Now, it's being described because Saul is, is going to be persecuting these people who belong to the way. And at this point, he had not become a Christian. He was persecuting the church. But he calls the church the way. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 9, we also see that it is called the way again. In Acts 19, verse 23, it speaks about there being this disturbance about the way Speaking of the church, if you look at the context of each one of these, you will clearly be able to tell this is talking about the church. In Acts chapter 24, verse 14, once again, he is talking uh, about uh, being a follower of the way. Um, this is actually Paul now. He, he has created a, a huge shift. He has become a Christian, and now he is saying that he is a follower of the way. This is the way of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 24, 
verse 22, whenever Paul is speaking of Felix, he says, uh, he, he speaks about Felix as then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, um, it was a journey in the, the proceedings. I guess it would be Luke who wrote that about it, but it was known that Felix knows about the way he knew about the church. So we see a handful of examples from the book of Acts where the way is used as the church. So we see in Acts 9, Acts 19, and Acts 24. In those uh, three different passages, we see the church being called the way. It's a very fitting name for the church, isn't it? That we are following the way of Christ. And the way that is described right here is still our way. Let's take a look at some of the words that Jesus said in John chapter 14. He spoke about the way, and here in John 14, verses 5 through 15, uh, 5 through 14, sorry, we're going to be looking at a conversation that Jesus has uh, with some of his disciples, and uh, this is this conversation that, that uh, they have, this is one of the last few conversations Jesus is going to have with his disciples, and the, they're kind of a little confused about what he's saying. That's why Thomas is the first one who is, who is asking this question. So in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Verse 6 is a wonderful verse because Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Uh, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I, uh, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Uh, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. it sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? About prayer and the need for prayer. That's why now whenever we pray, if you notice the, the model prayer uh, that we oftentimes call the Lord's Prayer, uh, that Jesus gave to us about how we should pray in the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't end with in Jesus' name, but yet most of our prayers today, we end it with in Jesus' name or in the name of Jesus, amen. That's because we, we get it from this passage as well as others that speak about how he will do these things if we ask them in the name of Jesus. Jesus has this wonderful relationship with our Heavenly Father. And here they are, are asking this question, and, you know, Thomas is, is saying, you know, how can we know the way? You know, we don't know where you're going. How do we even know the way? But Jesus answered the same thing that we need to hear today, that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our life. There is no way to come to the Father except through Jesus. So Christ being the way. It might seem a little narrow-minded at first. In fact, a lot of times people are going to say it's narrow-minded. But isn't that kind of a fitting type of mind for us to have, following the narrow way that leads to life? Now, this might seem like it's narrow-minded. might seem like, you know, it just kind of doesn't, uh, doesn't encompass enough, uh, enough people. You know, how could Jesus possibly be the only way? But as you look at it here, you're still faced with this statement that Jesus makes. It is true. 
even if it seems narrow-minded uh, by today's standards. And uh, I want to share with you, um, I, I did find one quotation. I oftentimes don't really uh, quote things from a commentary, but um, this one was really good, and I really wanted to quote it uh, because it comes about verse um, 6. And it's commenting on that very fact about how people might say, oh, well, this seems very closed-minded, very narrow-minded, that if you think that Jesus is the only way. Um, I love this commentary here. It's from a man by the name of Tom Wright, or you might know him as N.T. Wright is what he's known for. And he has a commentary series that's uh, for everyone is what it's called. And this one in John for everyone, um, on this passage, he comments, The truth, the life, through which we know and find the way is Jesus himself. The Jesus who washed the disciples' feet and told them to copy his example. The Jesus who was on his way to give his life as the shepherd for the sheep. Only when the church recovers the nerve to follow Jesus in his own mission and vocation, I suspect, will it be able to recover its nerve fully in making the claim of verse 6. Yes, people might argue, they might have a problem with the wording about Jesus being the only way, but if we as the church can truly do follow Jesus in his mission, in the vocation of what he has called us to do, then we recognize that we are called to just follow Jesus himself. And we will be able to fully take hold of that claim in verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the way. And here I want to end again by just showing you this picture, this poster. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are many ways that are off the path. In fact, that's one of the, the illustrations that you see here in this, this visual aid, that there are several ways of getting off the, the correct path. And there are several kind of um, holes in the fence line. You can't really see that probably from your screen. But if you zoom in on that picture, you'll be able to see that there's you know different holes in which people have, have gone through it to get on the road that is bigger, you know? There are many ways that are off the true path, but there is only one pathway that leads to the Father. There's only one pathway that leads to life. It is narrow. It is a narrow gate. It is a narrow pathway, but we are called to walk it. We are called to walk it every step as we follow Jesus Christ. So which pathway do you choose? It's entirely up to you, but I tell you, you know the one that you should do, but it's going to take effort. Let's work together. Let's encourage one another to enter through that narrow gate and to stay on that narrow road that leads to life. Lord, unto thee I pray in sin and shame. Lord, will you
Oh, 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 oh,